Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Please be seated. Well, I welcome those who are visiting today. I know we have a number of families at Holy Cross who have opened their homes to evacuees from Irma. And if you're like me, you've spent some time just pondering all these cataclysmic events. And it makes you wonder, it may make you anxious, but we need to filter all this through Scripture. And so I'd like to start simply by reading Psalm 46, which I think is appropriate as some of our brothers and sisters await the brunt of this storm. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And now God speaking, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen? Amen. There's been a number of people speculating, machinating. We have eclipse, hurricane after hurricane, earthquakes, protests, governments in turmoil. And then we hear this passage from Romans 12 this morning. This Beautiful vision of life together in Christ. Let love be genuine. Outdo one another in showing honor. Seek to show hospitality. Maybe it struck your ears as just a little bit airy-fairy. A little bit idealistic given what's going on in the world today. One picture that circulated uh, social media this week that some thought captured the state of the union, uh, maybe it, it's how you feel about when you hear Romans 12. I forgot to mention of, of the natural disasters, all the wildfires out west, if you have any friends out west, or if you've lived out there, it's particularly bad this year. And here we have some folks just putting along, when's tea time? But I want to assure you, our words from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome this morning, which we're going to look at briefly, are not some distant 
out of touch, high-minded words. They're actually the prescription for winning the battle, for overcoming evil with good, for living a life to the full. So I want you to turn with me to Romans 12. It should be on page 948. This passage is really interesting as I studied it. In many ways, it's shorthand marching orders for the new community of God. If you've been around Dr. Henry at all, our dean, you'll probably hear him say upon a goodbye or upon um, parting ways with him this phrase, love God, hate sin, and do right. Or in some versions, and beat army, right? <laughs> Inspired by his Navy days. Now that was short, quick, distilled wisdom that I think he picked up at the Naval Academy, but was really inspired by this passage in Romans 12. Do you see verse 9? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Paul gives these staccato commands, one after the other. And they're so dense, they're so rich, we're not going to be able to go through them all one by one. I encourage you to later this week or this afternoon. But with all the information we take in on a given day, we need things distilled down and simplified for us most days, if you're like me. Is it true for you? You need things simplified. And so Paul here commands the community to love, to bless, and to overcome. And think about where this early Christian community was. There was, some think, less than 100 Christians in Rome at the, at the occasion of this letter. And what were they to do now in this great empire, just this little community? How were they to survive, much less thrive? I mean, God has wrought this incredible salvation, right? By sending His Son in human flesh to die on the cross for our sin and break the power of death by His resurrection. His kingdom has begun and He is building His church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, right? We looked at that two weeks ago. And when He returns in glory, His kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. This is incredible. But we're just this tiny little community. What are we supposed to do? What now? How then shall we live? Well, Christians, as you know, looked back to our forebears, the Jews, when we thought about models of living, of, of life together. And what was the constitution for the nation of Israel upon their rescue from Egypt? God brought them into the wilderness brought Moses up to Mount Sinai and gave them the what? Ten Commandments, the law. Now, these were words of law that they were to keep in this covenant, but they are also words to promote health and healing and flourishing for a new nation that had just been released from the bonds of slavery. You think they needed some direction for their life together. They didn't have any social capital they had been oppressed, and now God saves them, and He gives them a game plan 
really for taking the land. Isn't it interesting, at least by my count, as I studied this passage, don't take this as gospel, but uh, this was an idea that came to me. As I read at least the first paragraph, I counted 10 unique commands that Paul gives. Interesting. Now, is Paul giving a new 10 commandments for us to keep? No. We've been freed from the old covenant. We've been consummated with Christ in this new covenant by His blood. But Paul wants to give the new community in Rome some direction, some guidelines, some guardrails, not to beat them over the head, keep this, but to promote their flourishing. Could it be that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, helps this small Christian band of brothers and sisters see themselves as a new people, a new nation, a new Israel called to inherit the promised land, the kingdom, and get this, begin living the life of the promised land, the life of heaven right now on earth even in the midst of raging fires and hurricanes and despair. Wow. There's a, a Jewish, a later Jewish tradition when it came to fulfilling commandments, doing good works. It was called Tikkun Olam. Okay, this is Mishnah. It's much later. And again, not gospel. But I think it's helpful because Tikkun Olam means to heal the world. And so, when these Jewish neighbors and friends of ours would be thinking about commandments, they're not simply thinking about trying to keep the law in a self-righteous sense, although it can become that. It was actually a way of repairing what was broken, of ushering in the presence of God and making earth a place of God's dwelling of God's glory. What if Paul riffing on some of these traditions, obviously seeing everything accomplished in Christ and now being fulfilled through his church, what if Paul is saying to these people, church, we manifest God's new world, God's kingdom to come in our life together now. And not only that, the way of fullness in life is this way. It's the way of love spelled out here in these verses. Live the life of Christ together in union with Him. Now you might be saying, again, really Colin? When I look at myself, my heart, my neighbor, the person sitting next to me in the pew, and I read these verses, really? It's, it's almost like there were an Italian apostle who read these verses and thought about trying to keep them, and he said, forget about it. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of the Italian apostle. He, he was a real apostle. I think he lives in Philadelphia. But what does Paul say a chapter later in verse 18 of chapter 15, three chapters later. How will this be accomplished among them? Paul says on page 950 in your Bibles, 
For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. By the power of signs and wonders, verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, all the way around the Mediterranean, Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What Christ has accomplished through me. One of the doctrines most commonly referenced in the New Testament is believers' union with Christ. This doctrine lies behind at least the majority, maybe most of all the many occurrences of the phrase, in Christ. You are in Christ. You are in Him. That's the doctrine of our union with God in Christ. Scripture teaches that Believers in Christ are mystically united. We don't know how it all works, but we're mystically and vitally united to Christ, physically and spiritually, through our baptism, through the Lord's Supper, so that He dwells in us. Think about this. Christ dwells in us and we in Him. That's why our body life is so crucial. Do you get it? Because through our union with Christ, the head of the church, we're also united to each other. I've been beating you over the head about community groups. This bulletin insert is, is in there again this week. Today is officially Connection Sunday and these community groups launch this week. And you need to get connected. You need to experience the blessings of union with Christ and with the body of Christ in small groups. So talk to me, talk to Bill Sharp, talk to Ted Griswold after the service. There's a m- number of groups that are represented here. And if you're not in an area nearby, go get connected with a small group somewhere else or come Wednesday nights for our breakthrough. You need to get connected with the body of Christ. One final insight into this passage before we try to apply this more specifically. And it relates to our union with Christ. You notice the name of Jesus was not mentioned explicitly in this passage, right? However, the personality and the fingerprints of Jesus are all over and all through this. Did you notice any echoes from the gospel reading today and from previous passages in the gospel of Matthew? Did you notice any of them? Romans 12, 14, take a look at it. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Hmm. Where can you think of a time where Jesus was teaching, really giving the authoritative teaching on the law, on the Old Testament in the Gospels? Can anyone think of it? The Sermon on the the Mount. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5.44? This is page 811 in your Bible. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We just heard, bless those who persecute you. We heard, if your enemy is hungry, verse 20 of Romans, feed him. Hmm. Other scholars think that there was a very early tradition going on where the sayings of Jesus, and we know the teachings of Jesus were memorized and well-learned by the apostles, and here Paul is applying 
the very words of Jesus to this community. He does it again, verse 17 of Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Matthew 5, 39. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Jesus says. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Interesting. Paul is showing what living and loving like Jesus looks like. He is putting our union with Christ into practical terms. We are called to live out our union with Christ in our love for each other and in our forbearance and in our forgiveness to the world. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What are some examples of this as we close? I think maybe one of the most inspiring examples, big picture examples of recent history is Martin Luther King Jr. Archbishop Foley Beach actually studied Martin Luther King's sermons during his graduate studies. And this is taken from a collection of Martin Luther King's sermons uh, that was collected in 1963. Martin Luther King took the example of Jesus in that turn-the-other-cheek method and applied it to nonviolent protest. Although crucified with hate, he responded with aggressive love, Martin Luther King said, speaking of Jesus. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I love that this is not a passive, weak response to evil. Hey, just be a stoic and pious person and just just sit there quietly while evil goes on. No, respond with aggressive love. Let love be genuine. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's active. It's aggressive, but it's love. What about some other examples? A number of you, I have a list of names who have offered their homes for Hurricane Irma evacuees. So thank you, church, for being willing to do that. And a number of you have said, "I'll, I'll provide help if necessary. Let me know. We have to do the small things where we are and with what we have, right? What about even more practical here in our life together? What are some small ways we can overcome evil with good? How about with our mouths? Speaking words of life. This is really important for a tight-knit community like Holy Cross. This is a family feel of a church, right? And what happens when negative, judgmental, or backbiting gossip takes place? Really, it's a way that evil is taking root among us. And gossip takes judgment or even revenge into one's own hands. Instead of trusting God for the outcome, we say, let me try to manipulate this a little bit, right? 
Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And so when we trust God, we can overcome evil with good. The, the negative can be extinguished in you. Even when you are reviled or gossiped against. Especially when. Let that vicious cycle end with you that we might overcome evil with good. So with our mouths, we can overcome evil with good. With our eyes, seeing what is life-giving. If you think your soul is not affected by what you place before your eyes, you're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. That doesn't mean we only watch G-rated movies, but it does mean we need to ask ourselves, is what I'm watching true? Is it beautiful? Is it good? Job 31.1, Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. And this is not limited to men, but I want to highlight this. Men, pornography is not to be taken lightly. It is killing so many men, particularly young men, but it's not limited to young men. Pornography is killing men and families. So what if we took this passage at face value, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, be horrified by it. Instead, fix your eyes upon Jesus, who when reviled did not revile in return. When cursed, he called down blessing and forgiveness. When mocked and disgraced, he gave back grace upon grace. When sinned against, he died for sin. This is our Savior. This is our friend. The one we ran from and betrayed. He showed mercy to us. So look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross for you and for me. He overcame evil with good, that we might have union with Him and participate in His kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. I'll leave you with Jesus' words. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen.